This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to The Late Late Show. My name is Catherine Taylor, and my special guest today is Rachel Hill Kelly. I'll be talking to Rachel about a number of things. We'll be talking about her initial teacher training experiences and more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to The Late Show. Um, I'm going to be inviting uh, Rachel to join me in the in the uh, virtual studio very shortly um, after I've gone through the, a few messages and the news. So uh, Rachel, I know you're already waiting. When you're ready after the news, just uh, call in and we'll have our chat. But welcome very much um, everyone listening to The Late Late Show. My name's Catherine Taylor and I'm speaking to you live from Buckinghamshire in the UK. On today's uh, show, I'll be talking to Rachel Hill-Kelly um, about a number of things, including her experiences um, as in her in initial teacher training, her early career teaching journey, and why she decided to take a different career path. We'll be reflecting together on her views about education um, from her perspective now as she works in higher education. Remember, if you are listening in live and you'd like to join us live, either to post a question in the chat for Rachel to answer, or if you want to call in and speak to us, then please download the Podbean app and visit ttradio.org and click on the Listen Live on the homepage. This should take you directly to the show. There you can post comments and ask questions during our conversation. Once I've spoken to Rachel, I'll open up to any of you who want to call in. You can call in by pressing the icon at the top of the screen on your phone's app. Click this and you'll be able to connect you. I'll be talking to Rachel right after the news. Join us then. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The debate around immigration took a turn towards education this week as the UK government announced that foreign postgraduate students on non-research courses will no longer be able to bring family members to the UK. According to the BBC, the University of Wolverhampton has already criticised the new plan. Whilst Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said the move would help bring migration down, Dr Rachel Morgan Guthrie from the university said students who came with a support network were more likely to succeed. Last year, 135,788 visas were granted to dependents of foreign students, nearly nine times more than in 2019. In the same period, 680,000 foreign students studied in the UK. There was also division within the government as some wanted to see the ban on dependents extended to all postgraduate students, whilst others, including Education Secretary Gillian Keegan, argued that there were economic benefits both to universities themselves and the wider community. Vapes have regularly appeared as a topic of concern for many teachers, and a recent report into substances found in illegal vapes is likely to raise further issues. The BBC reports that vapes confiscated from school pupils contained high levels of lead, nickel and chromium. The results of the test showed that children using them could be inhaling twice the safe limit of lead and nine times the safe amount of nickel. High levels of lead exposure can affect the central nervous system and brain development. The majority of the vapes analysed were deemed illegal and had not been tested before being sold in the UK. So-called highlighter vapes, designed in bright colours to look like highlighter pens, contained unsafe levels of the metals coming from the e-liquid. 
The government has allocated £3 million to tackle the sale of illegal vapes, but critics say it is not enough to deal with concerns around the number of children gaining access to these products. In Scotland, school meal debt could be scrapped in some additional areas after North Ayrshire Council agreed an action to investigate the impact the debt was having on families and schools. Head teachers of local schools are regularly reminding parents they owe money, according to the story in the Daily Record. Twelve councils across Scotland have already abolished this type of debt. The increase in families struggling with paying for meals has been attributed to the cost of living crisis. Many schools have reported parents struggling to feed children and resorting to sending pupils to school with inadequate packed lunches or, in extreme circumstances, keeping children off school to avoid accruing more debt. Finally, and staying with the topic of food, STV reports that in Glasgow, free school meals have been so popular that head teachers have had to stagger lunch times to ensure everyone can eat comfortably. The increased uptake of children in P1 to P5 accessing a free meal has again been attributed to the cost of living crisis, meaning more families are needing to access certain benefits. But at least everyone is getting a good meal and the staggered breaks have helped kitchens and dining halls to cope. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm considering how easy it is to get distracted when researching on the internet. I'm putting myself in the shoes of a young person and I've set myself a task of writing a report on the greatest invention of all time. I'm also not going to use ChatGPT. So, my first online search shows a lot of people claim the wheel is the greatest invention. And let's face it, there are a lot of them around. There are 9 million bicycles in Beijing, and that's a fact. That's 18 million wheels just on bikes in one city, if we assume nobody has a tricycle. This led me to want to know how many bicycles there are in the world. The answer I found was an estimated 1 billion. That's 2 billion wheels, again, assuming nobody has a tricycle. Now I want to know how many wheels are there in the world. Another search tells me there's an estimated 37 billion, 24 of these billion being toys, and the next biggest share of 8.4 billion being on cars. A quick scan of the results page poses an additional question I hadn't considered. Are there more doors or wheels in the world? Well, I simply have to know. In a few clicks, I find out it's estimated there are 48 billion doors in the world. So based on this research, there are more doors and isn't a door a great invention? Yet it's not been proposed as one in my prior searches. And if there are that many doors, how many hinges must there be? The amazing thing about the internet is that there's always an answer. And the way search engines deliver those answers are designed to keep you interested and active. So potentially you see more ads and make them more money, which doesn't help get that report written, does it? Does your school teach young people how to research effectively? Do our young people realise how much they are advertised at? I'd love to hear your thoughts. As always, when I get in touch at TZ Radio Official, I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Brilliant. Thank you very much to uh, to the news there. Um, I'm going to be welcoming Rachel into the studio in a minute. But before I do, I just want to mention and shout out to the Happy Confident Company, who are, are our sponsors, um, providing all kinds of resources for, for young people to increase their growth mindset. So thank you and shout out to them. Rachel, I think you're in the studio. If you uh, don't mind ringing in now, then it would be lovely to hear from you and we'll have our chat about uh, all of your education views. Okay, so while we're just waiting for Rachel to, to join in, I just want to sort of say something about this because we do currently obviously face in the UK um, a really challenging time in terms of recruitment and retention. Um, and so it's really important that we listen really carefully to people who have um, made the decision to uh, to leave the classroom for very, very good reasons, um, because these are the kind of messages that we need to hear in order to um, try and improve the situation, I think. Um, welcome, Rachel. It's really nice to have you on the show tonight. Hi, Catherine. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you hear me okay, first thing? I, I can. I can. Yes, that's brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, 
so I've just kind of tried to outline and introduce the, the scenario, but uh, I think it's probably best to, for you to set the scene. It's your story. Um, so perhaps you could tell me a little bit about, um, firstly, your current role. What are you doing at the moment? And then we'll, we'll sort of um, go back to the uh, to the earlier point as well. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Catherine. So um, as you've rightly said, I am currently, um, well, back in higher education. That's where I originally started um my uh career um after university um and i tucked out into teaching and i've come back in um i'm currently the assistant company secretary at the quality assurance agency for higher education um also known as the qaa for anyone who's an acronym fan um and one of the things i miss about being a teacher is when people say so what do you do you say oh, i'm a teacher and they go ah and have a vague idea or think they do of what you do and i say now I work for the Quality Assurance Agency in higher education and they give you a look and go, so what do you do exactly? Mm. <laughs> um, so uh, to give you an idea, it's um, it's an independent charity, but it's also a, a sector agency for higher education. Um, and the agency itself works to benefit students and higher education um, through doing exactly what it says in the tin, um, assuring quality of uh, teaching and learning in particular. Um, and my my own particular role um, is the is responsibility for the governance function. And so that's, you know, meetings, minute writing, um, but it also involves an awareness of the UK um, higher education policy landscape um, and the context. It's quite a dynamic place to work because that is a, an ever changing landscape. Yes, it sounds it sounds very interesting, um, but also very different from the classroom. Um, and I just wondered, what would you say uh, it, that you really enjoy about your current role, and then also maybe something that you really miss about uh, the classroom? Yeah, sure. So um, one of the I, one of the things I love about my current role um, is that that dynamism. You know, no two days are the same. Much like teaching, it's it's nice to be kept on your toes and to be at the forefront of some of those those policy questions. Um, so, for example, having a lot of uh, discussion about the impact of artificial intelligence and things like ChatGPT um, on higher education and uh, potential for assessment, but also within the, the organisation itself, which is quite interesting and exciting. Um, but I guess in terms of one of the things I miss about teaching, I miss being surrounded by young people every day. I, 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 Love being in a primary classroom, particularly the, um, the early years and, and reception classes. They, they were, you know, the children are a delight, and I do miss get, uh, getting to see 30 smiley faces on a daily basis. Oh, no, no, I totally get where you're coming from. Um, it, it says also in in our sort of pre notes, we've been having a bit of back and forth, and you mentioned you're a, a school governor or chair of governors. Um, I wonder if you could just expand on that a little. Yeah, sure. No, I am. So, um, I picked up the, the school governor role while I was a, a teacher, actually, um, okay. getting involved as a, a parent governor. Um, and it's been a fantastic way to um, support the school um, in what they do. So uh, at the moment, I'm the SEND governor um, and monitor the, the SEND provision at the school. Um, but we, um, we obviously cover anything that you know, is, is involved in the, the running and the oversight of the school and things like recruitment and finances obviously are, are quite big issues at the moment yeah, for, course, for schools yeah. and you get that perspective too. But um, yeah, if there are any teachers out there who are interested in becoming a, a school governor, it is a great way to support the school. That sort of support and challenge is really invaluable. Mm. To, to I'm going to say, I, I do that as well. I'm actually, because our school, the way it's arranged, we, we have trustees and I've been yeah. a, a staff trustee for about four and a half years now. And it is a really interesting insight into into the operational, well, the strategic, you know, vision for the school and then sort of the reporting back. To, you really get uh, to see a much more holistic picture of, of how things are done and uh, why things are done. So it's it's a fascinating role. And uh, I'd, I'd like to echo your view. If, if there's anyone listening who's thinking about, um, you know, a way you might contribute to to your school, then that's it's a, it's a valuable role that um, that you, you might consider volunteering for. Um, 
Right, brilliant. Thank you. So let's let's get into it a bit more deeply then into your journey into teaching, because, you know, you work in higher education. You, you've you know, you've obviously had a very long and uh, you're very passionate about education. You clearly care an awful lot. You're volunteering for school governor roles and you're, you know, supporting SEND and, you know, all of those things paint the picture of someone who's really passionate about education. So, so talk me through, you know, you, you came in and then sadly you ended up going out again. What's, what's your story? Well, um, it, it kicks off back in 2018. Um, after having my second child, um, I felt it was a good point to, to do something different. Um, I actually come from a long line of teachers, uh, both my mother and my grandmother um, were classroom teachers. And like you say, I had absolute passion for education and think it's such an incredibly important thing. Um, so I went back and did a, a primary uh, PGCE back in 2018, which is, you know, no small feat with uh, two children under the age of six. Um, <laughs> and it's also not cheap either. I think that's no, something that... No gets lost in the statistics of those those of us that do leave is is the enormous personal debt that people have outlaid um, in order to to take on the teacher training and and a huge investment that then then obviously leaves education with them as well um, but yeah so after doing the PGC I uh, went on to an NQT year but um, I, I left that to be honest it was a combination of long hours you know I came from a background where I wasn't unused to incredibly demanding jobs and long hours and huge you know high pressure high stakes work and having to be incredibly organized and yet all of those skills were just no match for just the what felt like the volume of work mm. um I, so, you know so talk me, me through a typical day in your in your training then in your initial teacher training year um were you it was a pgc route so were you in university yep. a few days a week um, how did it look in terms of the contact time and the the scaling up presumably yeah. from very little at the beginning to to much more of a workload towards the end i don't mean workload contact time that's what i mean yeah. <laughs> workload's always there <laughs> The workload is never ending, is it? Um, yeah, so the initial teacher training, I, I think, you know, shout out to the to the University of Worcester where I trained. It was, you know, well structured. So we started off with contact time within the university for a few weeks for that grounding, um, which is about a half term's worth before then heading out on um, placement. Um, for that first placement, at which point you have a certain percentage, obviously, of those hours that you you would actually teach but it's 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 really you know very highly structured that first term um the second term it's you know you're back for a week and then you're back into uh, a second placement in a different school so you go back to to the start with a new class on the pgce um and you take over a high percentage of the teaching um and also a high percentage of the planning and the idea being of course that you start to build your skills and 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 develop by doing um, but you're you're not there teaching 100% of the time and then moving towards that third placement again you've got a couple of weeks teaching before you're into that third placement and the teaching percentage is fairly similar to the NQT from memory or the ECT I suppose it is now which is yes. is knocking on for 80% um, of you know time teaching on a on a typical day which is is quite intensive quite a ramp up as well over the course of which is only a year. There's not much time within that structure, I suppose, to really consolidate. Um, but then again, you know, you are the idea is to get you out into the into the classroom and able to to lead your own class. So you know, you wouldn't want it to be you know any more cushioned than that because I suppose it's not really reflective of of what you go on to do afterwards. Yeah, I mean, did you have? Um, you must have had, I guess, some academic study at the same time. What was that like? Were you writing long essays as well, or I mean, not everybody takes that room. Just wondering what yeah. yours was like. Yeah, of course. So um, we had um, quite a bit of, of reading around with the various classes that we did, um, group presentation, um, which focused initially on. Um, 
theorists, child development theorists. Mm -hmm. um, and towards the end, we also uh, produced a, a sort of small scale research study. So it was done, um, I mean, mine was observation based mostly on the second placement. And then that was written up um, in a particular specialist subject. So it was, you know, small scale research piece and, and self-reflective in, in nature about 10,000 words. So, you know, mm. that, that, that late your Easter holidays, definitely. Oh gosh, yes. um, <laughs> <laughs> which, um, and, but, you know, incredibly interesting to do and, and a fantastic thing to do as a practitioner as part of that, you know, uh, continuous professional development start as, as well, I think. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I just personally, I've, I find the academic side of it really rewarding. And I think that my, my, my vision, if I if I rule the world, um, my <laughs> vision for education is, you know, to really give time for those research projects and also to equip equip teachers with the with the research and evaluation skills that are needed to to really do effective in practice research and action research and things like that so that they really do embed the the notion of the reflective practitioner which you know I, I'm sure you're going to confirm for me in a minute but the the research does tell us that when when teachers finish their early training and then go up you know it does ramp up as you say with this sort of cracking on for 80 percent and more as you go through there's a phenomena which you, you may you may recognize called practice shock where essentially you're just trying to survive and all of that lovely reflective practice that you've developed in your training year as tough as it's been you know you have really valued the academic um sort of intellectual side of it and the reflective side of it suddenly it's just all in the bin because you're just trying to get through the day um what what do you uh, is that something that you recognize yeah no absolutely i think that's a that's a great way of putting it and i think as well that recognition comes with the sadness because actually if we look across you know if, if, if we do compare ourselves to other places in europe that level of contact time and the amount of time available for CPD that's that's high hardwired into teaching contracts you know it's tiny it's it's minuscule like you said it's practice shock you're just fighting to survive with the day-to-day -day job and the volume of work that that presents to you um whereas actually that that isn't necessarily the norm elsewhere mm. and it feels like we could have you know as teachers you know we could all be so much more effective as practitioners for that breathing space it would be better for the children in the classrooms if that contact time was lowered in order to provide that you know real space for that academic practice and, and the CPD that goes alongside it mm. yeah it's it's I do it's you know if I as I say if I had my way I'd love to see you know of course workload reduced but I don't always think of sort of action research and CPD as workload I see you know it's when you've got to fill in a spreadsheet twice with the same information because it won't transfer across that's workload you know re reflecting on your practice yeah. <laughs> I feel like you might have had to do that at some point <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely you know note of empathy there I think <laughs> um, but you know working hard on on an academic reflective engaging practice that actually kind of does feed forward into your own teaching I think that's that's not really what we mean or what I, I don't mean by workloads it's definitely the kind of the weird kind of boring admin where you have to write verbal feedback given in a purple pen you know <laughs> yeah no absolutely ask yeah, it so so yes like you say workload is definitely the 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 wrong word but of course you know we are talking about the same hours in the day aren't we and yeah, if course. you are trying to enter data twice into a spreadsheet the um, the hours go by and, and there isn't the room for that practice and it can be so rewarding I've had I've had the pleasure of seeing it as a, a school governor one of the um one of the teachers had gone and done a, a primary science uh, in in depth uh, primary science mark and just got so much out of it and the the joy that they had in that in, in that study and the self-reflective practice and everything they brought back into the schools so was and, and is 
hugely valuable that absolutely you want that person to have the time to to do that without it filling their weekend so that they can't relax mm -hmm. and the thing really the thing that should go is that you know double entry into the spreadsheet yeah 100 percent. and you know i mean i, I could go on about this because it's, it's one of my beefs i kind of quite frankly if you're having to do that then it's not something's gone very badly wrong yeah. but we all <laughs> still do it you know um right anyway Let's move on to your next next part of your story. So you, you've completed, you've got your QTS, presumably, and yep. did you return to one of your placement schools for your, um, for your NQT year or did uh, you go to a new school altogether? No, I went to a new school altogether. Um, There's a combination of, uh, well, trying to find a job that also fitted in around the family in terms of uh, geographical location and commute and all that kind of a thing, um, particularly with one child still in nursery. So it was a completely new school, um, completely new environment, new set of, you know, ways of doing things completely to to get my head around, um, mm -hmm. I suppose. Um, and it was a it was a school in a in a, in a challenging area as well. So there was probably an element of having bitten off more than I could chew at that particular point. Mm, yeah. um, you know, make make no bones about that. You know, that was that was definitely difficult. But equally, it you know, it was it was it was a challenge I really wanted to to rise to, really. Um, and I I took it on full time. And actually, in 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 hindsight, with two small children, I think that was just it teaching bizarrely doesn't hasn't ever felt like a job that you can fit in around around family life because yes. everything goes by the wayside during term time and then you spend the holidays trying to catch up with with the kids you sort of don't breathe really so yes. um in in the end I, I packed that in and went uh doing day-to-day -day supply which was fantastic it was it was it worked an absolute you know treat around the family it was flexible um I had uh, a number of schools where I'd go back to repeatedly so you'd see the same children um, which was you know which was lovely so it gave you that sort of opportunity to build the relationships but equally when I left at the end of the day I left at the end of the day yeah of um, course <laughs> I mean so, do, you, do, you, do you think that I mean I don't, I'm not wanting to put words in your mouth mm. at all so it might have been a, a wonderful environment but what was the support like within the school was it quite a nurturing place despite all of the the work that was you know the long hours um or were there other challenges with, within that school that's an interesting question and one that I still oh, don't, and I don't think. want, to, I don't want to, <laughs> to, uh, to speak out of turn, of course. No, no, no. I think um, for the most part, yes, it was it was a it was a supportive environment, and it was, um, but it but it was a you know it was a challenging school, yeah, um, yeah. to to work in, and you know, like so many schools, the you know one of the other complicating factors was. The financial pressures it was under and there just weren't many adults in the room either yeah. which or, or you know there were points where we were the only adult in the room for several days at a time sometimes so it's you know it's, and did, it was did a you have um, high i mean obviously you've talked about it being in a challenging area i presume you mean socio-economic but with that was there a high level of um need as well for the the children with their neurodiversities and and things like that or i mean i'm just trying to really get get a picture yeah yeah uh, that there was yeah i mean and too often it feels like the two the two seem to go hand in hand don't they mm. um for you know very very complex reasons um but yeah so we're, we're talking high need we're talking socio-economic issues and we're talking you know uh, significance SEM within the classroom itself as well yeah no it's I mean it's heartbreaking to think of it isn't it you know and yeah. it's I, th I think one of the things that teachers again you can you can sort of I'm not, not going to put words in your mouth but we are kind of the, you know we don't do it for the money do we, we you know money is good and you need money but we do it it is more of a vocation and we we do care and it is really hard when you when you're confronted with those kinds of issues 
you know and and so it it's 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 there's an emotional element to it is i suppose what i'm getting at yeah no absolutely and i think i think that gets it's one of the things when we do talk about workload and teacher recruitment and teacher retention and actually in particular the ITT the thing that I, I guess doesn't seem to be spoken about is that enormous emotional um, burden that gets placed on teachers you know it's a caring profession that mm. it isn't highly paid like you say you know the rewards are emotional ones and they and they come from people that are drawn to caring professions and the you know a lot of the time people who train to be teachers have got that lifelong passion for educational they have that belief or it's something they've always wanted to do um and i think it really does add to the speed with which um new teachers burn out and and that is an area that definitely i think initial teacher training providers don't cover and 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 could not you know presume to suggest how but there's there's definitely a, a gap um, in terms of that preparation for how invested you're in. You, you know, very much encouraged to care about your class, of course, but it does then equally make it extremely hard to shut off at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and and leads to you know people making martyrs of themselves and burning out completely in a lot would, of cases. Would you describe what happened to you as burnout then? Um. I think it was I think the decision to step away was far more about balancing all the competing needs that I that I had mm -hmm. you know having gone into teacher training as a parent it was it was always stacking up any of those demands against all the other things that I had to be <laughs> and, and also occasionally wanted to do as well um but with the with the supply it was sort of that realization that actually I I didn't I just couldn't face I didn't have it in me to go back into the the classroom and get enmeshed in that emotional round again yeah um and you know like I said I absolutely love the teaching love being in the classrooms but that it's it's full-on um and I decided in the end I didn't I just didn't I didn't have that that in me um yeah. but also I think combined with that was this sort of realization that some of what was pushing me away from the classroom wasn't just that workload it was the things that I was being you know the expectations that are placed on teachers for the things we teach I mean I got in with a into education with absolute passion for it and the, a belief that the early years are incredibly important and that play is a massive part of it yeah and yet particularly having been so I was a supply teacher during um COVID and you know having been in these classrooms that were incredibly adapted during the, the pandemic and I'm not mm -hmm. suggesting my experience is typical at all but the 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 difference after the pandemic with this this catch-up narrative being pushed and these mm. children who had spent this this year months separated from their peers being unable to play being inside except for an hour every day suddenly had this catch-up narrative that entirely revolved around reading and writing with a very small focus on their social skills and it, it felt like no space to play or doing any of those other really important things that that have to come first in in my book fundamentally mm. um and i just i couldn't so, I just couldn't so, do it <laughs> just so just to kind of uh summarize what you're saying are, are you saying that part of your part of your beef if you like with yeah. the education system is that you don't actually agree or believe in the kind of priorities of the curriculum at the moment particularly after covid um so you actually not only find it a, a personal and logistical and all of those reasons we've discussed a challenge to actually come to work and carry out the, the job of work but you don't really buy into the material content of that work yeah i suppose that's yeah i suppose that's the way of putting it. yeah philosophically um you know i there are there are various schools obviously around around the play but the, i think uh and I sh well in england 
certainly i think our, our national curriculum is 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 having a really damaging effect in schools in the in the pressure it places on children mm -hmm. in the pressures it places on staff um and it just there there are so many things that are being squeezed out of that curriculum for or, or feels like are being squeezed out of that curriculum like music like physical education um all the things that give you that sort of rounded whole child who is then also mm. capable of all of the skills that you're trying to get across in things like maths and reading and writing um and these you know we're losing that sort of periphery where those skills can be built you know particularly with children who aren't necessarily in, in, inclined or haven't got that bug to to sit down and pour over you know maths problems yes. but then that's that's the, that's where you can consolidate some of that and you know it seems to have just disappeared from the curriculum altogether and and particularly um for me philosophically the the lack of music education at the moment seems like such a you know such a shot in the foot for our for our young generation coming through you know it's an opportunity to reinforce some of the math skills with some of the patterns it's an opportunity for expression it's an opportunity to develop you know a different kind of thoughts that can then go on to underpin you know reading and writing as well because it's just that different form of expression and it's an out a creative outlet for for children and there's 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 no time very little investment and is almost completely ignored at initial teacher training level to bring us back full circle i suppose yeah i mean would you say that the, it's there's an issue with um teachers confident to to teach that as well and i'll, I'll just tell you why i asked that question because i'm mm -hmm. secondary rs and i know that a lot of primary colleagues really don't like teaching rs for a variety of reasons including but not limited to the fact that they don't feel um, necessarily able to respond to children's questions and they're worried about causing mm. offence because they don't so would you say that there's you know it's it's very it's a big ask isn't it to ask anyone to be uh, an expert in all kinds of fields all at once absolutely and 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 there again I think this is like there's quite a quirk of primary education that you sort of have this model of one teacher who has to be uh, both a jack of all trades and and an expert in some. Mm -hmm. um, and music is a is a great example of of somewhere where, you know, we have had systematically decades of underfunding in music education. So the generation of teachers coming through now are also um, suffering from that. It is really hard, like you say, if if you're not expert, you're not confident in teaching something, you are going to shy away from it and you know there are good music education schemes but actually it feels like there needs to be a different model of of teaching and teacher time and, and how teachers are yeah. in natural classrooms to provide something you know to provide some of these specialist subjects you get in PE subject specialists you could get in music specialists it's a it's a great opportunity to have some different faces in the classroom too for the benefit of the children no, it's, I, I totally agree with you it's it's uh what I found really interesting about what you just said there is that the, the teachers themselves who are coming through I mean we've had the national curriculum since um sort of Oh, what's my memory 1998 no 1988 um you know and <laughs> I don't know. good I, memory <laughs> I don't know. well I, honestly sometimes I'm like wasn't 1992 last week and like, no you are in your 40s um but it's it's that kind of we're all products of it now and mm -hmm. you know when I was I've been working on my doctorate which is in education and I was looking for teachers that I could interview who had taught before the event of the national curriculum and I found one you know oh, <laughs> <And> they, <laughs> it's it's just not there's nobody that has not been kind of indoctrinated it into it now yeah that's yes yeah, so you got I, I'm amazed you could only find one but I think um their touches on a completely different uh different crisis in education doesn't it about the number of older teachers that are leaving which yes yeah, possibly a conversation for another day but yeah all the teachers coming through now are a product of of the national curriculum as well yeah um, no, we, we kind of have to 
it, it's 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 one of those things you start to pull the thread and it doesn't get better, does it? it just... <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've got a couple of more questions that I just wanted to to discuss with you before um, we invite anyone of anyone who's listening if they want to kind of. Um, text in i can see paul primary teacher of 15 years hello to you paul perhaps uh, in a moment you'd be like you'd be uh, someone who'd like to ring and con- contribute to our discussion a bit of a cheeky question um rachel before we go on uh, sure. one of the things that people say is that um the early career framework is supposed to sort out these problems of the nqt pressure fest if that had been available to you, do you think it would have made a difference? Uh, no. <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> it's a very short answer, I suppose. I think um, the uh, it, it feels like a sticking plaster. I think the fundamental problems that were there for me, and I think are there, or, or you know, I don't speak on anybody else's behalf, but I think you know there are systematic issues here, and and they relate wider than just that training and support framework you know they they are around the inordinate pressures on teachers in terms of the number of hours that they are doing in the expectation that you have so many directed hours to do things like clubs after school as well it just this absolute pile on and also it seems to have become the last place where there's any support for families and children as well you know the decimation of all the support services for schools has meant that teachers are trying to be everything to everyone and you know i for me i don't think a framework of introducing to the classroom is going to solve what are fundamental policy issues within within teaching and I think that with the fact that we're still seeing a decline in the number of people signing up for initial teacher training and that we're still seeing record numbers of teachers leaving um, the profession this you know this year and last year, even with the introduction of these um, early careers uh, framework means that probably those are those systematic issues are are the issue effectively. Mm, yeah. And we're tinkering yeah. around the edges. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with you. It's um, it's it's something I've been thinking a lot. I look after, I do some of the um, tutoring for the ECTs uh, in my context, and um, yeah, it's 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 a challenge. It is a challenge because it doesn't take away from the real life experience. Um, I think sticking plaster is probably quite a good way of um, <laughs> describing it. So. <laughs> kind of same sort of question another thing that people say is that if there was more flexibility in the role in the classroom um if schools were more open to job shares and and all of that kind of stuff if that was done better if there was more ppa that you could work from home to complete would that have made a difference do you think um i think the the job share question almost certainly would have made a difference i probably would have tried that before making the decision to leave the the professional together if i've been able to find one um but i think um i mean the ppa and being able to do it from home is fine but it's it's the quantity of that ppa mm-hmm. for all the things that it that you need to do um and and again i'm pulling comparisons to to europe i mean you know don't want to set any one particular country up as some sort of you know, golden shining example, but in Finland, the contact time in the classroom is significantly lower, you know, it's sort of 10, 20%, if not more, lower. Job shares are the norm and all of the extra bits and pieces that teachers in England, and I think probably in, in the UK, though I know, you know, Scotland and Wales, I, I feel have made slightly better strides towards improving this. All of those things are still, you know, expected to be crammed into a very small amount of time around a very packed and very pressured teaching timetable that is, you know, has huge high stakes accountability and, yeah. and testing at the end of it as well. Yeah, for the for this 
for the children and for the teachers. You know, it's it's all very, uh, very high stakes, isn't it? Um, yeah. I'm going to just invite uh, anyone who's listening in. I know Paul has indicated that he's interested in calling in. If you are, Paul, please do. And anyone else who's listening, just, uh, just click the icon on the app and we'll let you into the conversation. Here we go. Hopefully just coming through oh. now. Paul, are you there? Hello. Hi, Paul. Can you hear us? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Welcome. Thank you oh, for calling you. in. Um, I wonder Maybe. if you've got any comments on, on our conversation this evening. Yeah. Um, it was interesting to, to hear what, um, is it Rachel? Rachel's been through and uh, a similar similar sort of thing, really. I've been teaching for 15 years, all in primary. Um, I'm actually at a situation now where I've been offered the chance to sort of change my role so I won't be a classroom teacher. I'll actually be teaching maths for a couple of, a couple of year groups. And um, I'll also be covering PPA in the afternoon. And I'm in a bit of a quandary about it, to be honest. I don't know whether it's a positive or a or a negative. To to be fair, what's um what would you be? What would your concerns be about that role? Well, head teacher um has sort of tried to reassure me that it's not a step down. Mm-hmm. Do you know, um, she sees me as doing um. Quite a lot of stuff like uh, like policies, paperwork, basically a lot of things that she would normally do, but is now not going to do as much, mm-hmm. if you like. I mean, she kind of puts it across that I would be, I wouldn't be SLT, but I'd be doing some SLT work, if you like, um, with a view then in the future to potentially become SLT or kind of management in some way. Yeah. And, and is that where you see yourself in your career trajectory? Is this something that that's, you've, that's been suggested to you or were you seeking um, something slightly different? Well, I mean, as a, as a male teacher, you're expected, aren't you, <laughs> to, to be in some sort of management role, you know, certainly after 15 years. But um it's not something I've seen myself doing before, but the last the last year has been really tough teaching wise. The class is, you know, a very challenging class. It's actually gonna be the same class next year that I if I was to stay as a class teacher, it's the same class I would have. It's also going to um it's going going to increase from twenty-five to thirty something. Because we've got um, an intake problem where we've basically got a very small, I teach year three, <clears throat> we've got a very small year two cohort at the moment. Mm-hmm. So um, they would come to me and I would have a year three, four class with 32, 33 children. So uh, you're two kind of teaching two curriculums there really, aren't you? It would be, it'd be, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, they would be year three when they come to me. I'd also have a year four class. That's where it, it kind of goes, really. Um, two of the children have got one to ones, one for behavior, one for autism. There's lots of children as well who have been referred for various things. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's got, I know it's going to be really difficult. So I kind of think it would be good not to do that. And I would, you know, probably have less stress over it because the last year has been extremely stressful. But at the same time, do want to leave being a class teacher to do that? Does that make me less of a teacher, if you know what I mean? I do. And it's it's so tied up. And maybe Rachel wants to comment on this as well, because our, our professional identities are really, really deeply held, aren't they? Um, Rachel, what's your kind of thought? Do you, do you you said you used to introduce yourself as a teacher, and now you now you don't. Do you still feel like a teacher on the inside? 
Um, yes. Do you know, I think once a teacher, always a teacher. My my grandmother used to have a mug and it said, old teachers never die, they just lose their class. And I think there's a truth in that, in that, you know, it, you never really leave the profession and and everything that it, it gives you. And I, I, I really, you know, emphasise, Paul, that you want to stay in the classroom, but actually sometimes it's 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 about what's what's going to work for you and it doesn't make you any less of a teacher and actually you know there's huge value it sounds to me that you can you can add in what you're doing to the to the school um in in taking on that that ppa cover yeah yeah i'm kind of I'm, the the school itself is is going through well we're, we're on the um precipice if you like of well, redundancies in the next couple of years, I think. Um, the the intake numbers are, are low in, in the area, to be honest. Mm. Uh, we've probably got more staff than we need. Uh, when in fact, I know we have. Um, so you wonder then in the future if that is going to be the case, whether classroom teachers would hold more weight in that situation do you know what I mean no I do it's a it's a worry and and that you know must be a really stressful situation for you Paul because you know we we do like to to operate in the knowledge that we've got a secure future and uh it's it sounds like a, a terribly stressful situation I, I really hope that you sort of make peace with it I mean as as a male primary school teacher I can't imagine you will ever be um completely unemployable um but uh, i mean sort of sort of on that i was at a school for i was at a school for nearly nine years um and things sort of took a turn for the worst sort of not a toxic school but my situation wasn't particularly um pleasant um so i I needed to i did need to move on just for my Mm -hmm. sake really yeah. And then it was extremely difficult then to find anything that would be permanent. I moved to a few different schools, which were one-year contracts. Um, had to do supply a few times. And actually, the permanent job that I've got at the moment came through supply. But mm. the, the the male thing can be a bonus, but the age thing and the M6 thing, that can yeah. be... I really, um, it's almost a no straight away from schools that either can't afford it or just prefer um, ECTs. Yeah, it's such a shame, isn't it? Because, you know, I don't know if either of you have read the the Hargreaves and um, Hargreaves and Fullen book, Building Professional Capital. Um, it's on audio. So if you like to listen while you're driving, it's a good one. But it's all about, you know, this... The, the professional experience that we all kind of carry with us that can't be taught in a way and you kind of have to earn your stripes and you know that it's it's not nothing is it it's not nothing no it can be extremely difficult extremely difficult brilliant okay well i'm i'm really sorry paul for your situation and thank you so much for calling in um uh, i'm really aware that we've got just about seven or eight minutes left of the show and um i really do appreciate and i really really do hope that that your kind of situation resolves in a way that that is satisfactory to you um you're really welcome thank you and, and you know do tune in to our uh, to our other shows as well because there's all kinds of interesting uh, things going on on good old uh, teachers talk radio um thank, thank you. you very much rachel uh we've just got a couple of minutes left i just wonder if you want to make any comment more generally because i know that you're you're interested in the the, the recruitment and retention um situation what what what's your view on um kind of how that's being handled and addressed and and things like that i think we have an absolute crisis on our hands really um in the uk but but england in in particular um there've been headlines recently about getting teachers in from abroad to teach so 
you know. That was crazy, wasn't it? I read that on Saturday and I thought, what? Could, I mean, can you listen to yourselves? We're it's not going to pay you any more, but also here's £10,000. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, you know, we've just made announcements about reducing you know the ability of anybody to bring dependents with them if they come over and study and that sort of you know that the rhetoric that you know builds around people coming in from other countries but you know we'll go and pinch your teachers to fill our own vacancies rather than looking at some of the things that we could do you know like we said at least there is a sticking plaster with the early careers framework there um but there's there's a massive issue in terms of the number of teachers that are just leaving the profession in in droves. We had um, one at the school where I'm, I'm a governor and they have you know left within five years. Again, they came from a background where they were no stranger to pressure, um, mm. but they said they never had any time for themselves. So, and they just become another statistic. And I think that mm. that narrative around the pressures on on teachers is is filtering through because the numbers going for ITT places has dropped. So has the number of ITT places. After the DFE review, we've gone down from, I think it's 240 odd providers. We're now down to 179 recognised providers for initial teacher training places. Mm. So in the middle of a recruitment crisis, we seem to have reduced the number, we've reduced the supply. <laughs> which is slightly odd and then that's before we even get started on those you know like Paul says the more expensive teachers at the end of the spectrum where there just isn't the money in school budgets to to, to hire experienced teachers mm -hmm. and you know they have uh, experienced teachers have huge value to add and I, I said earlier in the show if you think about teachers who are training now who have taken out um, a loan for their, you know, if they go for a higher education QTS route, they're, they're taking out a minimum loan of, of £10,000 a year, not to mention anything they take out and, and borrow for their um, maintenance. So if you've gone for a bachelor's route, I mean, that's that's three years. That's that's at least £30,000. Mm. And if you do and, it as a late career teacher, I mean, I joined yeah. the profession when I was 30, you're leaving actually quite a well-paid job and you've got commitments yep. by then. So it's yep. it's really tough. It absolutely is. And it just seems to me that, you know, some of the basics are not being addressed. We need to fund our schools because it's mm -hmm. a caring profession and teachers want to see the resources there. You know, we need to pay teachers properly. I mean, that's pay is a part of the elephant in the room. It's a profession. These are, you know, people who have, like you say, we've got um, lives to, to support ourselves. And, you know, if we want our children to be educated well, we need to start by making sure that the teachers are are happy and cared for and well paid. Mm -hmm. that you, you get what you pay for. And, and if and then at the other end of the spectrum, losing these experienced teachers, I mean you can't you can't put a value on the experience that's that's walked out of our classrooms in recent in recent years. Um and it's and it is nothing short of a of, of, of a crisis. And to me it seems driven by, you know deliberate policy deliberate bad policy from mm. from government um and the profession this these are you know these are not so much smoke signals this is a firestorm isn't it of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of teacher oh, shortage oh dear well don't have nightmares everyone um <laughs> <laughs> we, we've we've painted uh, well I, I i have to say rachel i've really enjoyed chatting to you this evening i'm sorry it's been all doom and gloom but it no. has been, been, been great and thank you so much um your insight is really really valuable and you know clearly you're still so passionate for education and you know thank you for your service in terms of the governor roles that you carry on doing and um, of course in higher education as well um, so thank you very much for coming on the show tonight no thank you very much for having me Catherine it's an absolute pleasure uh, chatting to you too brilliant thank you very much so I'm going to uh, just play our messages again and uh, then we'll wind things up for this evening's Late Late Show with Catherine Taylor this programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. 
To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. Thank you very much again. This brings us to the end of today's Late Late Show. Many thanks to today's special guest, Rachel, and for all of you who joined us live, and thank you as well for Paul for calling in. Remember, there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week. Join me again in a fortnight um, for the same, for another wonderful chat with uh, another guest. Bye for now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.